So tonight's message, wretched, miserable, victorious. You know, I've been blessed. You have a beautiful country. God has um, created a diverse world, hasn't he? I had never seen a kangaroo except on TV until today. I was incredibly blessed. You know, we went up to, to Sunnyside and, and James and Daniel and Teresa and Junior, and I got to, um, to see Sunnyside to get a tour, an incredible tour. Uh, we got to go to Avondale, and I got to see the, the college that the Lord uh, revealed to Ellen White, that that was the land that needed to be purchased. And you know, it's called Sunnyside because her life was so happy while she was there. Maybe not at first when she was going through some real health challenges, but as time went on, she really came to love Australia, and I can see why. I love it already. But um, yesterday, we were in the Blue Mountains, and you're just incredibly blessed with a, a beautiful country, and these are just small glimpses of heaven, our homeland, amen? I don't know about you, but I cannot wait until we can enjoy the glories of eternity with Jesus, our Lord and soon-coming King. Before we get our message tonight, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me. Join me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of love. You are a God of selflessness to the point that you gave your life for us. You were willing to surrender eternity and to come and be born a man and to live life on this earth. Not only that, but to live and die in our place. We praise you, Lord, for your goodness. And tonight, as we continue our study into the Laodicean message and as we continue to hear your final call to us, Lord, we pray that you would open the ears and the eyes of our heart. Help us to hear your voice, and may we see what you want us to see in your holy word. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. There was a little boy who, um, well, not so little. There was a young man who drove up to his school one day, back in the 1950s, and he proudly drove up a, a truck that was making all kinds of funny clinks and clanks and noises. And uh, he opened the door and walked into his school and the little schoolhouse there. He had a big smile on his face, his first day driving this truck to school. And his teacher said, hey, Tom, what kind of truck is that out there? And he proudly said, oh, that's an RFD truck. And the teacher said, I haven't heard of that model. What's an RFD? And he said, oh, rescued from the dump. <laughs> well, friends, we as Christians are RFD people. Isn't that right? Not only are we rescued from the dump of, of sin and of selfishness, but we're rescued from death. Not only are we rescued from death, but God wants us to be ready for deliverance when he comes. We indeed are 
RFD people. And friends, Jesus is coming very soon. He's making his appeal. He's making the final call to all humanity. He's coming soon, and he wants us to be ready for deliverance. We've been examining Jesus' message to us in the book of Revelation. Jesus' message in the book of Revelation. And we have been discovering that Jesus, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, instructed John to write seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And here's a map of eastern Turkey so you can see. Jesus specifically told John the words to write because Christ had a message for those seven local, literal churches in Asia Minor in the first century. But we know, once again, that these seven local, literal churches are symbolic of prophetic time periods that God's church would go through, down through time, all the way until Jesus' second coming in the clouds of glory. Therefore, the last church on the list, which is Laodicea, is representative of God's last day people as we are living on planet Earth. The name Laodicea reflects this. It actually means judgment of the people or a people judged. And we, as students of Bible prophecy, know that we have been living since 1844 in the investigative judgment, the time of God's judgment, according to Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12. Those living in the last moments of time, there is a special message for us from Christ. Friends, the Laodicean message is for us, and Jesus is making his final call to the planet, a final call for us to make a full surrender of our lives to him. We saw that Jesus calls the Laodicean church lukewarm. It's neither hot nor cold. They're not entirely committed to God, nor are they willing to go out into the world. They're just riding the fence. And sometimes, friends, we, we think that a message like this doesn't apply to us, but the very fact, or the, if you don't think this message applies to you, it applies to you. If you don't think this message applies to you, it applies to you, and it goes for me as well. The reason is because the message is for those who don't think it applies to them. Therefore, if you don't think it applies to you, it does. And friends, we're going to see tomorrow night how, how the great leaders of this Second Advent movement, when they fully understood the Laodicean message, their hearts were broken on the rock of Christ. They said, man, we thought that we were okay, but we are not. We need to make things right with our brethren. We need to make a full surrender in every area of our lives. Friends, this message is indeed for us. And it's a message of love because Jesus wants us to be ready when he comes in the clouds of glory to take us home. Jesus says that his people are neither cold nor hot, not able to make up their minds, fence riding and not even realizing it. Once again, Jesus doesn't give this message because he's angry or because he's vindictive. No, he says, as many as I, what? Love, I rebuke and chasten, or as the ESV puts it, I correct and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Praise the Lord that when Jesus points out the problem, our Savior also supplies the solution. Amen? Last night we found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, that Jesus supplies the solution. He, he offers us the solution 
And the solution, he says, is to buy from him gold refined in the fire that we may be rich. And he says, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness might not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. Friends, the gold represents, we remember, faith that works by love, that's motivated, that's actuated by genuine love. We see that the ISAV represents wisdom and grace that the Holy Spirit brings us to understand God's word and to escape and stay away from the temptations of the devil because he enables us to recognize them. That's the spiritual eyesight the Holy Spirit brings us. And then the robe of righteousness. We remember from last night that, that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Friends, a robe in the Bible represents character. And this is the Bible's way of saying, Jesus is saying your, your character without me and my righteousness, your self-justification, it won't get you anywhere. You need me to justify you. But friends, Jesus grants us the pure, clean, white robes of his righteousness, amen? And not only, he doesn't just cover us with these robes and ignore our sins, no. He cleanses us of our sins and then he transforms our characters to be one with his character to the point that our very thoughts will be similar. They will be the same as, as his thoughts. This is only possible by the Holy Spirit living in our hearts moment by moment. And it's a promised reality. It's a promise from a God who the Bible says in Titus 1 verse 2, cannot lie, amen? And if a God who cannot lie has made a promise, that means it is possible. So praise the Lord that the promise of the Holy Spirit is one that is absolutely sure. We discovered last night that this spiritual robe that Jesus wants to clothe us with, so to speak, is simply a inward representation, a spiritual representation of what used to be a physical reality with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Well, friends, now it's working in reverse. As God is redeeming us, he gives us the spiritual robe of Jesus' righteousness now. And as he does, when he comes again in the clouds of glory, he's going to give us those clean, bright, white, physical robes, an outward representation of the inward reality that we are righteous by the blood of Christ, amen? And that he has transformed our characters to be one with his. We are safe to welcome into heaven because sin will never again be a reality. No one will want to even consider sin because all of us will have been transformed by the love of Jesus. Friends, I want to draw your attention to something next. In Revelation 3, verse 17, Jesus gives five descriptive words of the Laodicean church. He says, and I want you to count them with me, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How many was that? Five. Now, in Revelation 3, verse 18, where he supplies the solution, he says, I counsel you to buy from me, what? Gold. What is that the solution to? To being poor, right? Gold tried in the, refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. That's the solution to being spiritually naked. And then he says, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. So the question comes, Five terrible descriptive adjectives, problems that Jesus mentions about the church of Laodicea, but only three solutions here in the text. 
what is the answer? Does Jesus supply a partial solution? Friends, does our God ever do something halfway? Absolutely not. In fact, when Jesus healed people, it, the Bible says that their hand was just as good as the other. Amen? So Jesus, when he does something, he doesn't go halfway. He goes all the way. And the Lord supplies a solution. But the question comes, what are the solutions to being wretched and miserable? The answer is connected to the last sentence of Jesus to the Laodicean church. And it's found in verse 21. Revelation 3 and verse 21. Before that, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Friends, this is what can work the transformation of character that we need, welcoming Jesus into our hearts. Amen? And here is in small form, this is a part of the answer or a reflection of the answer that we're going to discover to the question of the answer, that a solution of being wretched and miserable. It says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now, God has given us the answer, not here in Revelation chapter 3, but he's given us the answer to the problem of being wretched and miserable somewhere else in Scripture. Very interestingly, not coincidentally, but I believe providentially, the Bible gives us the answer to, or excuse me, I believe providentially, both of these words, wretched and miserable, in these Greek forms are only appearing, they only appear one time each in Scripture, other than here in Revelation chapter 3. So God is pointing us to these places to study the context that is surrounding these words in order to understand the solution to being wretched and miserable. First, we have to understand what they really mean, what it means to be spiritually wretched and spiritually miserable. The word for wretched in Greek is talaiporos, and it's only used one other place in Scripture. Similarly, the word for miserable is eleonatoroi, and it's only used in one other place in this Greek form. So let's discover together what the solutions are. Friends, in order for the gospel to be good news, first we have to know what? The bad news, right? The bad news is that we are spiritually wretched. What does that mean? What does that mean? Romans chapter 7, verses 21 and 24. The Bible says, I find then a law, and Paul here is speaking about the, the pre-converted state of a Christian when the Lord has put a desire in their heart to do the right thing, but they have not made a full surrender of their life to him. He says, I find then that when I would, or I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Paul is crying out. He's, he's saying this is the pre-converted state where, where someone that God has put the desire in them, but they're still holding back. They haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to completely fill their lives. And the struggle with sin 
is the definition of being spiritually wretched. To be spiritually wretched means to be battling against sin, giving in, crawling away from your sin rather than running away like Joseph did. You know, sometimes we, we don't run away from sin. We, we crawl away and look back half, half hoping that it's going to catch us. But friends, we need to flee temptation, amen? The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God, therefore. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But all too often, we, we resist God and submit to the devil. But friends, Jesus and Jesus alone can strengthen us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to resist the temptations of the enemy. Amen? And praise the Lord that he can. You know, the word wretched means horrendous, terrible, atrocious, afflicted, tormented, tortured. This great struggle that Paul is talking about is the battle against sin. And I want to say the battle against selfishness. The battle against selfishness. By the way, did you know that all sin is selfishness? All sin is selfishness. I'm not just making this up. You can find it in Scripture if you dig uh, a little bit deeper. How many of you here like math? How many of you enjoy math? All right, well, we're going to work out an equation together, but it doesn't have to do with numbers. So how many of you don't like math? All right. Everyone who raised their hand is going to be able to see this clearly, and I believe you're going to enjoy coming to understand how the Bible says that sin is selfishness. They're synonymous. Let's see it together from Scripture. Here is our equation before it is going to be filled in. Now, stay with me here. Now, the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this beautiful love chapter, says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 that love, a characteristic of love, love seeketh not her, what? Her own. Love seeketh not her own. So that means that love is self, what? Selfless, right? So love is synonymous with selflessness. Love is synonymous with selflessness. Another word for love is simply selflessness. Now, in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 39, when a lawyer asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, Jesus said, thou shalt what? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Similarly, in Romans chapter 13, Paul says in verse 8, he sums up the last five commandments about God's love or about our love for our fellow men expressed through obeying the last five commandments. And then in verse 10, he says, love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. All right, so we see, back to our equation, love, another word for love is what? Selflessness. Now, we see love results in law, what? Law keeping. We see this because Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Amen? So is it clear that love results in law keeping? If that's clear, go ahead and say amen. All right, continuing on, we're going to continue seeing how sin is really the same as selfishness and love is the same as selflessness. Now, Love results in law-keeping. So we've established that the opposite of selflessness is what? Selfishness, right? The opposite of selflessness is selfishness, okay? When we 
think of the opposite of love, a lot of times automatically we want to say, oh, it's hate. But really, it's not. It's selfishness. And when we hate, we're being selfish. But the opposite of love is selfishness. So the Bible says then uh, that, that sin is selfishness. Now let me ask you, what's the opposite of law-keeping? Law-breaking, right? Now, is this biblical? Let me ask you, who of all the human family uh, committed the first sin? Who was it? It was Eve at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then it, shortly after it was Adam, the representative of the family. And in Genesis 3, verse 6, we see that Eve took that fruit that God said, don't eat it, and she took it for her, what? For herself. She took this fruit because she believed that it would make her wise, believed that it would make her like God, as Satan said when he tempted her. Now, in 1 John 3, verse 4, the Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the, what? Transgression of the law. So we see that sin results in, what? Law-breaking. So, friends, we see that love is also selflessness, and it results in law-keeping. You know, sin, and if we keep this is, if we understood this clearly, friends, we would, we would have no danger of legalism because legalism is trying to keep the law in order to gain heaven. But friends, if we are trying to gain heaven and the mansions and the streets of gold and riding on the backs of, of elephants and other animals and all of this, because we just want to be there and therefore we're trying to work our way, it's not loving, and we're actually not keeping the commandments at all. Also, the opposite would not be a danger to us if we constantly remembered this and had the indwelling of Christ. We would not end up being lawless and licentious. Friends, this would keep us on track. So all sin, as we see, is selfishness. Ellen White reflects on this, and she actually says in Manuscript Releases, Volume 7, all sin is selfishness. She's just stating what the Bible uh, has made clear. So here we see, friends, that from Scripture, all sin is actually selfishness. Any sin, anything that uh, we do that is morally wrong is based in selfishness, whether it be arrogance or pride or self-pity or anger or impatience or lying or lust or laziness, you name it, that's just the fruit. But the root is selfishness. This is what it means to be spiritually wretched. This is what it means when Jesus says that you're wretched. We have this bent towards selfishness, and the only thing that can help us is the indwelling of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And praise God that he is, as we learned last night, more willing to give good gifts to his children than the best parents on earth. Amen? So praise God that he holds nothing back in helping us. The only thing that could prevent that from being a reality is if we don't open our hands to grasp onto his. How many of you want to open your hands to grasp onto God's hand tonight? Amen. So do I. But friends, right in the middle of that word, self Selfless, which is a synonym to love, is the word less. And that, friends, that really should be our prayer, amen? In our personal devotional life, 
When we pray with our family, we should be saying, Lord, may there be less of me and more of you in my interactions with others, not just those who I don't know, those who I do know, those who are closest to me. May there be less of me and less of selfishness and more of you, more of selflessness. May I look upon the things of others. May I care for others more than I care for myself. This is God's desire of us, friends. And this is a prayer that God is just ready and waiting to answer. So we see that Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Bible commentators have noted that in Roman times, when the Romans were on a field of battle, after the battle, and there was a soldier that became wounded in the battle, but he was not dead yet, that they would often take that prisoner and they would chain him or tie him to a dead body in order for them to catch a disease and slowly die or to be eaten by wild animals. Friends, Paul, many suggest that Paul was actually saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? It's as if I'm, I'm connected to, to this, this dead person and before true conversion and the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm just waiting here and ready to die. And friends, that is what happens with us. Without Christ, we are just doomed to die. But praise the Lord that he offers himself to us freely. Amen? The Lord does not leave us in hopelessness, but he gives us hope. Friends, the battle against sin is the battle against self. Sometimes we think that that our spiritual, our spiritual enemies are, are surrounding us. You know, as one preacher put it, if the devil died today, if the devil was destroyed today, I would continue being tempted because, um, because I do a pretty good job of tempting myself. And friends, really, a heart transformation is the only answer that uh, the world can really, the only answer to the world's dilemma of having this problem of spiritual wretchedness. Friends, in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said these words, and let me ask you, do you want to follow Jesus? Amen. Jesus said that it's conditional. He said following him will cost something. He said uh, to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24, if any man will come after me, let him, what? Deny himself and, what? Take up his cross and follow me. Deny him what? Himself. In other words, to battle against sin, to grasp onto his righteous right hand, and to take up our cross and to follow him. Friends, when Jesus took up his cross, where did he go? Where did he go? He went to Mount Calvary. He went to Golgotha. And what happened to him there? He died. Christ took up his cross, and that cross was an instrument of death. Friends, what is the cross that Jesus asks us to take, to carry, to pick up? Friends, the, the cross, whenever our will crosses the will of God, someone has to die. Whenever our will crosses the will of God, someone has to die. We can either choose to die to self or we can crucify Christ afresh. And friends, I don't know about you, but I want to say, Lord Jesus, reign on as the king in my heart. 
Take me and myself off the throne of my heart and reign as the king of my heart. Is that your desire as well tonight? Amen. The Lord wants to do this. He simply needs our permission. Friends, this is humanity's only hope, a complete heart transformation. Paul recognized this. He said in Romans 8, verse 25, the very next sentence after he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise the Lord for the solution. If Jesus is welcome in our hearts, he will give us victory over those things that are chaining us and holding us down, amen? And there is no sin too great for the Lord to take away completely. Praise his name for this. The gospel, this gospel reality is actually put beautifully, I love this quote, in Christ's Object Lessons, page 254, paragraph 2. Notice with me. The only remedy for the sins and sorrows of men is Christ. The gospel of his grace alone can cure the evils that curse society. The injustice of the rich toward the poor, the hatred of the poor toward the rich alike have their root in selfishness. And this can be eradicated only through submission to Christ. He alone, for the selfish heart of sin, gives the new heart of love. Jesus alone can give us a new heart. You friend, friends, you may ask, how can Jesus do this? How can he give me a new heart? How can he give me victory over the things that I keep falling in over and over? You see, friends, Jesus had a perfect character. He never sinned, and therefore, he had victory over sin. John 14, verse 30, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, the prince of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. In 1 Peter 2, 22, the Bible says that he did no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. Friends, every time Jesus' human nature wanted to go against the will of God, he surrendered himself. He surrendered himself to his Father. Every single time, he gave a complete commitment. And friends, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it came to, to a climax at that point, the, the plan of redemption as Jesus was there. His human nature shrank from the great sacrifice. His human he didn't want to give his life for the human race in his human nature. He naturally recoiled from this, friends. He was staring death in the face, the second death for us. But friends, he prayed that prayer, and he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus overcame in every point, Amen. He surrendered himself every time his will crossed with the will of the Father or he was tempted to. He said, no, I will submit and surrender myself to the Father and to his will. Friends, when we take up our cross and follow him, we can say along with Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, this is what it means to have Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. The same way that Jesus overcame, he wants to grant us power to overcome by faith in him and his righteousness. Right after this, 
right after verse 25 of Romans 7, which is the last verse, is Romans chapter 8, where the tone completely changes. And I invite you to go home and read it tonight, one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible that talks about the Holy Spirit's indwelling, how we are no longer condemned by the law of sin and death when we have the Holy Spirit living in us because it means that Christ will live out his life through us, that as we submit to him, our will becomes merged with his will. Friends, praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit can live out Christ's life in us because when Jesus is living in your heart, Jesus, the law giver, becomes Jesus, the law keeper in you and through you. The same one who gave the law, who kept the law, will keep his holy law through you and through me. And he'll see us into his heavenly kingdom, friends. This is what it means to have the precious robe of his righteousness. You may be thinking, you know, this sounds beautiful, but Justin doesn't know. This speaker doesn't understand. I've struggled, and I've tried, and and I've failed, and I've tried again, and, and I've failed, and I've prayed, and I've tried, and I've failed, and I've tried, and I've failed. Friends, don't give up. Don't think that these promises don't apply to you. Friends, put away the thought that God's promises are not for you. Put the thought from your mind, because God has promised, Philippians 1 verse 6, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This work of sanctification, hold on to his righteous right arm and he will carry you through to the very end. Friends, Jesus achieved complete victory and he can grant us the same victory. Sometimes we we think to ourselves, and maybe you've heard it, I think I've heard it and I've probably even said it in the past, you know, we say, well, you know, when it comes to messing up, oh, we're only human. We're only human. I'm only human. They're only human. Friends, if you're only human, you're not really a Christian. If you're only human, you're not really a Christian. First Peter, or Second Peter 1, verses 2 through 4. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. First Peter, or Second Peter 1, verses 2 through 4. Second Peter 1, verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, uh, through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue, by which are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the what? Divine nature. Friends, Christ, yes, we are only human, but Christ promises to live in our hearts and Jesus is God incarnate. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts, it means that that God can keep his law through us and in us. He can grant us victory over the things that have chained us down the habits that we keep falling into, God is able to grant us victory. Amen? Amen. And friends, friends, keep holding on to his hand. The Bible says that the righteous man, a righteous man falls seven times but gets up again. Amen? But the wicked fall by calamity. If you fall, remember, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But he is able to keep us from falling 
and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding glory. Praise God for this promise, amen? Listen to how this is beautifully stated in Christ's Object Lessons, page 333, paragraph one. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All his biddings are enabling. All his biddings are enabling. Friends, God would not have instructed us to keep his law, to follow his word, if it were impossible. Isn't that right? God does not tell us to do something that is not possible because that is not fair. But Jesus has kept the law completely. Nobody had done so. Jesus didn't fall in one single point. And the same victory over sin that Jesus have, had, he promises to have in us. Even more miraculously than giving us victory over habits, Jesus can change our selfish nature. He can change our inward-focusing hearts to be selfless and loving. Jesus has the power to do this. He has the ability to do this. And praise his name for it. Amen? So we've discovered together the answer to the first of the two dilemmas. We went back to the one other place that that word wretched is used in Scripture, Romans 7, verse 24, and we found that it was in the context of the struggle with sin. So sin is what the wretchedness in Revelation 3 talks about, and we've seen that the Savior has supplied the solution, amen? And he desires to apply it to our lives each day as he wants to baptize us afresh with his Holy Spirit. The second solution, what about the solution to being miserable? What does it mean to be spiritually miserable? Well, as we mentioned, this word miserable is used likewise only one other time in Scripture, and it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read verses 16 through 19. Here Paul is writing, and he says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are most, what? Miserable. If in this life alone we have hope in Christ, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we of all men are most miserable. We of all people as Christians are most miserable. Friends, the capstone of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Because of Jesus' resurrection, we are guaranteed eternal life. Satan received the death penalty officially. Friends, the next verse answers uh, the question. By the way, the whole context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is about death. So to be miserable spiritually means to be facing certain death. That's exactly what it means, and not just the first death, but the second death, not the death that happens when we fall asleep in the grave, when, when we die in this life, but eternal separation from God and destruction. That is the second death. In verse 20, Paul continues, we of all men are most miserable, yes, if, if Christ is not risen, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Friends, 
after Jesus was buried in his tomb, when his body was taken down from the cross, when he was laid in the tomb, when he rested in the tomb on the Sabbath and remained there, the next day, the Bible tells us that the women came to the tomb to embalm his body because they hadn't done so on Friday. It was a preparation day for the Sabbath. And they needed to rest for that. It was a lot of work to embalm a body. So they came to the tomb of Jesus in order to embalm his body. And the Bible says that and the earth had quaked. And this artist's rendition cannot even come close to what that angel looked like because the Bible says that the angel's countenance was like lightning. An entire guard of soldiers fell down as dead men. Friends, this angel rolled back the stone of the tomb that Jesus was buried in, and he sat on it. Friends, then he told these women that he answered unto them, Matthew 28, verse 5. He said, fear not ye. I would be afraid too, and they probably were. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Friends, praise God that he is risen, amen? Death got Methuselah at 969. It got Adam at 930. It got Abraham at 175. It got Jesus at 33, but he rose again. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose we can be victorious over death as well. Jesus came forth a conqueror, friends. He came forth a conqueror. John 3, verse 16. This beautiful verse, the most quoted Bible verse in the world, most likely. It says, For God so loved the world that he, say it with me, gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now let me ask you, are there people from history who have believed in Jesus, who have trusted either if they lived before he came as a man in the future coming Messiah and his righteousness, or after Jesus and looked back to Jesus and trusted in his righteousness? Are there those who have genuinely accepted Christ into their hearts, who have fallen asleep in the grave and who are dead? Absolutely. So is this talking about dying the first death where we would simply die and sleep? No, it's talking about the second death. And friends, Jesus came forth from the grave, a conqueror, not over just the first death, but over the second death. This is the promise of what we will not have to endure because Christ endured it on the cross. Jesus came forth a conqueror because death could not keep down the giver of life but he rose up from the dead. Death could not keep him down because he had no sin in him and this power of sin, the power of death is sin. In Jesus' death and resurrection, he gave death the death sentence. He established the date that death would die. He he dealt the deadly blow to the devil. Friends, Jesus made it secure and sure that not only would the devil die, that he would be destroyed. But by his death and resurrection, he guaranteed that death itself would die. It would eventually cease to exist. Praise God for that. Notice with me, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. 
that is the devil. Praise God that Christ has dealt the deadly blow to the devil, amen? You know, Satan is kind of like a chicken running around with his head cut off in the sense that he may be moving, he may be causing troubles and calamities and and strife for God's people. But friends, he is a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe because our Lord has conquered, amen? Revelation 20, verse 14. The Bible talks about when death would be destroyed. It says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That word hell is Hades, which means the grave. Death and the grave were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Friends, praise God. Praise God that because Jesus had the victory over death, being spiritually miserable, the state that we are in without him, because he has been victorious over death, so can we. Because Christ has, we can enter into those gates of heaven. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. They talk about this time when death will be no more. I just want to share it with you in the form of a song that I've come to know and love. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Friends, do you want to be there on that day? Do you want to be there on that day when death and sorrow and pain, there'll be no more? When there will be no sick loved ones, when there will be no more separation, because we'll see Jesus face to face. We'll see the loved ones that have, that have passed away in the death of sleep, who've given their lives to Christ. Friends, do you want to be there on that day? Amen. Praise God that we've discovered that the solution to the Laodicean problems of being wretched or sinful and being miserable and facing death Praise God that Jesus has supplied the solution because he he achieved both victory over sin and victory over death and the grave. And he wants to grant us that victory tonight. Jesus is willing and he is offering us this victory. Friends, this power, the power of the gospel is just this, that through the blood of Jesus, he does not only grant us pardon for our past, but he grants us power in the present. His blood grants us the power in the present that we need to be victorious overcomers. This is why, this is why the answer to Jesus' solution of being wretched and miserable, having the victory over sin and death is discovered in Revelation 3 verse 21. The last words that Jesus gave to the church of Laodicea, the last part of his message for us, He says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my my throne, even as I also overcame, and I'm set down with my father in his throne. 
Friends, we can be overcomers when we welcome the overcomer, Jesus Christ, into our hearts. Isn't that right? I'd like to invite the ushers now. They're going to be passing you a card. Friends, every time that the Lord brings us a message, we have one of two choices. We have one of two choices. We can either rise up in rebellion or we can humbly bow in submission. And Christ has spoken clearly to us tonight. Friend, I don't know what's going on in your life tonight. Maybe there is some part of your life that is held in the wretched, terrible, miserable affliction of a sin. Maybe it's a, a habit, something like an addiction, a drug addiction. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction. Maybe it's a sexual addiction of some kind. Maybe it's an addiction to video games or, or television or, or something else. But friends, Jesus can free us from this, amen? He has already had the victory over sin when he walked on this earth. And he wants to grant us victory in our lives. He wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Maybe it's something that you're struggling with, like lying or, or swearing or, or impatience or, or frustration. You get upset easily. Friends, Jesus can grant us a character like his. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime, but it's a continual and steady upward walk. Amen? As we submit our hearts and our lives to him, Jesus transforms us and he changes us. He wants to make us holy. He wants to purify us. He longs to change us. Friends, Jesus isn't waiting for more hurricanes. He's not waiting for more earthquakes or wars or rumors of wars. He's not waiting for famines and pestilences or, or more false prophets to arise on the scene. He's not waiting for the world to become more wicked and more like it was in the days of Noah. Friends, Jesus is waiting for his people to grasp the right hand of his righteousness and become holy like he is. This is what he longs from us, not just once a week, not just once a day, but moment by moment to have a continual abiding presence with Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. This is his desire. Jesus can grant us the ability to overcome if we will simply welcome him in, into our hearts and ask him to dwell within us and live out his life in us. Friends, if there's something tonight, a character flaw that you have recognized that the Lord has directed your mind to, and you want to say, Lord, I know that I cannot enter the pearly gates of heaven with this still ingrained in my life, then I invite you to take this card. You don't have to <clears throat> put your name on it just yet. Just take this card and write down on line number one. Say, Lord, take this from me and only let your hand move that pen or pencil when it's the genuine prayer of your heart. Friend, do you want, friend, do you want Jesus to grant you the victory over any and every besetting sin? I sure do. 
He is more than able. He is desiring to do this. Go ahead and write down on that first line, Lord, help me. Grant me victory over this. Secondly, this evening we've seen that through Jesus' death and his resurrection, he can grant us victory over both the first death and the second death. Jesus wants to grant us victory over death, that when he comes in the clouds of glory, he can take us home to heaven forever. I want to share something very important, though. Victory over death is not unconditional. Receiving that victory and eternal life, receiving that victory and eternal life is conditional on something. It's conditional on something that is very important. It's conditional on a union with Jesus, a very special type of union. And I want to direct your mind to just that with me. This victory over death through which Jesus grants us eternal life is based on the condition that we are united to him in this way. Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Friends, do you want to be raised? Should we fall asleep in death before Jesus comes? Do you want to be raised from the dead to go home to heaven? I sure do. And if Jesus comes while we are still alive, while breath is left in our body, do you long to go home to heaven and home? Do you long to go to heaven and home? Friends, this world is not all there is. God has so much more for us. If it's your desire to learn more about baptism, maybe you don't understand fully what it means to be baptized into Christ. But if it's your desire to learn more and to study toward being baptized, to give your life to Jesus and to say, Lord, I want to give you my life. I want to be included in your kingdom when you come. And take that card and write down on line two. Write down, I am interested in studying the Bible toward baptism. Maybe you have not made this decision and you've, the Lord has been working on your heart for some time. Jesus is standing at the door of our hearts, friends. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Friends, Jesus is just waiting to open the door, for you to open the door of your heart. And if you long to know more about baptism or if you know about baptism and you want to say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus in this way, 
that I might be united to him in the symbol of his death, baptism by immersion in that water, so that I can be united in the form of his resurrection and go to heaven. And I invite you to write that down on that card. Amen. The ushers are going to come and collect the cards. We're going to, I'd like to ask that they bring them up here to the front. We're going to say a very special prayer. No one is going to read these cards. If you have written down a personal sin or something personal, you don't have to worry about anybody reading this. That's between you and the Lord. But if you have made a decision for baptism and to open the door of your heart to Jesus, and even if you have not everyone, please pass the cards in. We're going to pray over them, first of all, for victory over the sins that are binding us. And second of all, for those who have said, yes, I want to learn more about biblical baptism, or yes, I want to be baptized. Friends, tonight I want to ask something of you. After we pray for these cards, please don't slip away. If there is something on your heart, if you have been battling against something, or, or maybe you need prayer because someone is asking you to pray for them, if you want to lift up somebody else, tonight we're going to have a special prayer time after we pray for these cards here in the front. And if you have made a decision for baptism or filled out a card for more information, please come forward as well. We're going to be meeting together here in the front just after we pray over these cards. Praise the Lord that Jesus is coming soon, amen? As we look at the world around us, we can see that our Lord is soon to come through the clouds, soon to come through that sky, and he wants to come back for a holy people. He will come back for a holy people. Do you want to be a part of his people, brothers and sisters? Amen, amen. Tonight we're saying, Lord, we are your children. We've accepted this gift, the solution that you've given us over being wretched, over sin and over death. Thank you, Lord, for the victory over sin and the victory over death. I invite you to stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, Lord, you have, you have made us And we praise you that you have redeemed us. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life that you offer us. We thank you, Lord, that when you walked this earth, you accomplished victory over sin. And Lord, when you, when you died on the cross with our sins, bearing our sins, the things that bind us and hold us, Lord, you did not stay in the grave, but you rose up again. And we thank you that the very fact that you did means that you can take us to heaven as well. Lord, we want there to be nothing between our soul and our Savior so that your blessed face may be seen. Nothing present, preventing the least of your favor. Lord, help us to keep the way clear and to let nothing between. Tonight, we have surrendered these things. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our minds, and Lord, if any of us have not surrendered something in our hearts and minds, if we're holding back, Lord, do not give up. Continue to send your Holy Spirit to plead with us. Time is short, Lord. Lord, you are coming soon, 
and you're making the final call to humanity. Father, whatever these cards represent, whatever chains are binding us, we give them to you. We know that you can break us free. Lord, you came to set the captives free. And in the same way that you healed those who were bound by Satan through disease or sickness and and sin, when you walk this earth, you can do it today in our lives. Many of us are here as a testament to that fact. Lord, we know you want to continue the work that you have begun in us. We submit all of these things to you, Lord, and we pray that you will help us, strengthen us to hold on to your righteous right hand. We praise you for your goodness, Lord, and we thank you that our times of unfaithfulness never render you unfaithful. Continue to work with us and in us and through us to reach those around. Bless our time of prayer, Lord, as we just come and pray here together after this. May your spirit continue to abide in this place in a special way. Bring us back again Friday night as we take a deeper look at what it means to let you enter into our hearts by faith and what it's going to take for you to come back. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.